the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Water in the court. Be seated. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio on 930 AM The Answer, podcasts everywhere. I'm Todd Marquardt. Each episode, I talk about some aspect of Texas or federal law that seems to need some explaining. Do you have a question about the law? Email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. Because I'm licensed to practice law in Texas, uh, the State Bar of Texas governs my law license. And the state bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to follow your will. Please help Hector Signs and me give good information about federal income taxes today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today we're talking with Hector Signs business consultant and tax specialist with Liberty Tax Service South San Antonio. And he and I will be talking about year-end tax planning and look at ways to time income and deductions during October, November, and December. Call Hector Signs at 210-355-3267, 210-355-3267, or email him at hector.signs, S as in Sam, A, E, N as in Nancy, Z, at Liberty South San, that's L I B as in boy, E R T as in Timothy, Y, S as in Sam, O U, T as in Timothy, H, S as in Sam, A, N as in Nancy, dot com, to find out how your unique facts and circumstances can benefit from year-end income tax planning. Hector, this is uh, the second time you've been on the show this year. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoy being here. So today we're going to be talking about income taxes, and at the end of the year, it's different than at the beginning of the year. It is, yeah, because there's you know, a lot more strategy that has to go behind the end of year tax planning, right? And and getting ready for tax season, right? So it's uh, all about, you know, what happened during the year and what can we do these last few months to to make your tax results better. So it's important to see uh, a tax specialist uh, at a time other than when you're preparing your tax return. Absolutely, right? Because the IRS looks at everything 
by December 31st, right? What are your results by December 31st? Anything after that, it's a little too late. So yeah, right now it's a great time to start these strategies. Okay. And you do that consultation, I'm sure, with people. Do you have other people on your team that do that at the various locations that you manage? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know, with Liberty Tax, you know, I am a consult- consultant regionally too, right? So, yeah, every Liberty Tax has a tax professional um, or they have someone on the team like myself, right, that can do more complex types of uh, strategies, right? So, yeah, absolutely. We have a team of people that that will help. So what locations do you supervise specifically? So I'm actually a franchisee for three locations, um, two on the south side of town, right? The, my main location is on Southwest Military over by South Park Mall. Um, and then I have one right here up, up the road, uh, Babcock and Hebner. Um, and then our third one is also on the south side of town. It's more of a satellite office to the one by South Park Mall. Okay. Yep. Good. And so people can call you, they can email you, or they can just walk in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, walk-ins, you know, you'll probably meet with my team. Uh, If you need an appointment with me specifically, yeah, you can call and email me and more than willing to help. Okay, great. So what are the five things that you wanted to talk about today? Well, we're we're talking about year-end strategies, right? And so, you know, we're we're talking about maximizing your deductions, uh, capitalizing on your tax credits, uh, retirement contributions, asset optimization, even estate planning, right? And this is kind of where you come into, right? right? Where our partnership kind of comes together. Um, so those five things I think are, are some of the more critical and, and, and more helpful tax strategies at this time of year. Okay. Well, let's let's talk again broadly about what are the, the benefits and, and reasons to do year-end tax planning. Um, doesn't the tax code stay the same all the time and you just do the same return every year? Well, tax code will vary, right? I mean, obviously, there's increases due to inflation or due to uh, different factors, right? And then, of course, uh, if you saw past couple of years with the pandemic, you know, there might be some uh, temporary changes in the tax code. So because it's constantly changing and, and constantly updating, you know, it's, it's always important to consult with a tax professional um, on some of these uh, changes. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, a lot of these strategies can be taken over year year after year, right, and still have kind of the same impact. Some of them are the same, and and for some there might be changes. Correct, correct. Okay, well, let's get into uh, some of the things that you recommend with uh, strategy number one. Yep. Tell us about uh, what is a a deduction. So deductions, what what we kind of look at is – you know, things that happen during the year, right? And some, some of these deductions have to be specific to what the IRS allows. Um, so this is kind of what people consider their long form or their itemized deductions, right? So we're talking about medical expenses, uh, you know, taxes that you pay on your home, uh, even interest that you pay in your home, uh, charitable contributions. All those are deductions that you can take on your income. Uh, as long as it reaches a certain level of deduction, then you can apply that to your income, and pay, you know, ultimately pay less taxes on the income Mm -hmm. that you make during the year. So there's a a standard deduction and then there's itemized deductions. Correct. How do you know when you're going to be allowed to take uh, your itemized deductions? Yeah, so itemized deductions, obviously you want to take the highest of either your itemized or standard, right? Because you want the the maximum. Mm -hmm. And so as long as your itemized deductions total up to be more than your standard, Right. And it'll vary depending on your filing status. Uh, As long as they're more than your uh, standard, then obviously you're going to want to itemize. You're going to want to take the long form. Now, a lot of people assume that, oh, just because I kept all my medical receipts and and I got my interest statements, a lot of people assume that they automatically itemize. Right. Which is not true. Right. If Mm -hmm. you're uh, going by the tax code, again, you're going to want to take the larger of those two deductions. And so do you help people figure it out? Which ones they should be doing? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have, you know, state-of-the-art software and, and, and of course, years of knowledge, right? So uh, just by looking at forms, tax forms, we can tell whether you're going to be itemizing or taking your standard. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're going through all those documents thoroughly. And, um, you know, anything that qualifies, we're putting it on that tax return as a deduction. So you mentioned medical 
um, I would imagine that you have to have uh, pretty high medical expenses to be able to do that. Um, what are some other deductions that people might itemize? Other deductions that, that people don't really think about, um, you know, if you have a safe deposit box, right, uh, and, and you're paying a fee for that, that's actually a, a, an itemized deduction you can take. Um, you know, in regards to medical, you know, you brought up medical. Yes, absolutely. It's, it, it's, it's a high amount because it has to go over 7.5% of your income in the first place, right? So that's the first uh, kind of mark that you have to hit. Um, but people don't realize there are other things aside from, you know, visiting the doctor, right? I mean, if you're having to pay for parking to go see the doctor, you can take that as a deduction. If you're having to upgrade your house, right, maybe you're having to add a ramp. Right mm -hmm. now you're in a wheelchair, or, you know, uh, do things like that for your home for medical reasons. Uh, those are also deductible, right? Okay. So people don't kind of see the big picture in that, and so that's why you know what we do is kind of interview the client, you know, based on what we find, um, you know, with their tax documents. We'll try to look, dig a little deeper and see if there's more that they can actually add to those deductions. And so this, at the end of the year, might be one of those opportunities when you decide whether to incur those uh, expenses the, these last three months, October, November, December, or whether you put that off until after January? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, right now if you're, if you're making quite a bit of income, you know, and your, your tax result's going to be pretty high as far as your tax liability, then now would be the chance to, you know, make those home improvements for medical purposes or make that charitable contribution that you've been thinking of doing um, because, again, if you don't do it by December 31st, then, you know, it's going to be a little too late after that. Yeah. And same thing with income. Uh, what if I'm going to, what if I think <laughs> I'm going to get a raise after the first of the year? Uh, how, do, how does that affect my, our end of year tax planning? Well, then you want to plan for next year, right? Um, you know, if you're going to get a raise, then, you know, it, it, it's a matter of looking at what that's, how that's going to impact you because you can still put money aside, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, right? Put money aside into a retirement account. Um, maybe put that into some assets, you know, things like that, that we can kind of look at to, uh, to kind of help defer okay. some of that income. Okay. Yeah. Um, so strategy number two is uh, capitalize on tax credits. How is a tax credit different from a deduction? So deductions are a, a straight subtraction from your income, right? Tax credits are a result after we already know what your tax liability is, right? So once we know your tax liability, then what we do is we apply tax credits, which there's two types. A lot of people don't realize there's actually two types of tax credits. There's a non-refundable type, right? Which is going to be just a direct uh, deduction of tax liability based on the credits that you qualify for. And then there's refundable, where you actually can get a refund from that type of tax credit. Right? So, for example, earned income credit, that's the big one, right? Okay, well, let's stop right there, yep. and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, then you can talk more about the sure. income tax credit. Todd Marquardt, stay tuned. all business owners and industry leaders seeking to elevate your brand and align with a highly targeted audience. Talk Law Radio invites you to partner with us in bringing in-depth interviews with expert guests, thought-provoking discussions, and practical advice on a variety of matters to the listening audience. Let us get your business name out into the community. Log on to TalkLawRadio.com to find out how you can become a sponsor. That's TalkLawRadio.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Hector Sines, a business consultant and tax specialist with Liberty Tax Services, South San Antonio. And we've been talking about some of the year-end tax planning techniques and strategies that he recommends. Um, but we can't give you specific advice about your unique situation here on the show today because your facts and circumstances are unique to you, and so it's best if you work with somebody one-to-one -one like Hector, and you can call him or email him 
And I'll find that uh, phone. Why don't you tell them your phone number and email? Sure. Yeah. My phone number is uh, area code 210, obviously. 355-3267 is my cell phone. You can call, text, leave a voicemail if I don't answer. Uh, always good about getting back to voicemails. Um, email is hector.signs at libertysouthsan.com. Okay. So before the break, we talked about maximizing deductions, and then we talked about a little bit about capitalizing on tax credits, and mm-hmm. you explained what the difference between a deduction and a credit was. And then you said there were two types of tax credits, and one was non-refundable and one was refundable. Mm-hmm. And so uh, pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. So again, non-refundable and refundable. So we, we go, you know, again, based on how we structure the tax return, uh, we go with the non-refundable ones first, right? And so a lot of these non-refundables, like I said, will just basically be a straight deduction to your tax liability. Um, for example, child tax credit, right? So child tax credit is one that is actually kind of on both sides, right? It, it starts off as a non-refundable. So, you know, assuming that you, let's say that your tax liability is $1,500, I can apply up to $2,000 of this child tax credit to reduce that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, because it's non-refundable, I can't go over that liability, right? So $1,500 the maximum I can use out of that child tax credit. Um, so that's how it works on the non-refundable side. On the refundable side, like I said, you can go over the amount that you use, right? So if your liability, like, a, again, child tax credit was $1,500, but I have $2,000, well, I have the extra $500 that'll come back to me as what's called additional child tax credit, which is a refundable credit. Um, so there's multiple credits out, out there that, that can help. They are based on income, right? So meaning once you reach a certain uh, maximum income, then it, the, it's, it's a threshold, right? So once you reach that threshold, uh, you're either going to reduce that credit or it's going to phase out completely, right? So it is income-based. Okay. And what are some other, uh, there's an income tax credit, right? Earned income tax. What is that about? Yeah, the earned income tax credit. So that one is one of the bigger ones. I mean, you know, you're t- for 2023, for example, you're talking about a maximum of 7430 right? And that is a refundable credit, meaning that can add over $7,000 to your refund. So basically what that one is, is as you earn income, this credit will maximize, right? At a certain point, it'll, it'll maximize. And as you earn more income, it'll start getting reduced, right? So a lot of people assume that, well, because I made more income, my earned income credit should go up, right? Mm-hmm. It's true in a sense, but again, you, you phase out a certain max, right? So once you max it out and you start making more income, it starts dropping up until you phase out completely, Right. Okay. So, and there's an education credit. What's that about? Yeah, education credit. So if you are in post-secondary education, right, your college, universities, uh, even if you're going just for to get a certificate of some sort, right, to, to, to get a job, um, those types of courses and the tuition involved with those courses can actually be deductible, right? Now we're talking about out-of-pocket expenses, right? So if you're getting scholarships, uh, getting grants, things like that. Obviously, there's no, nothing out of pocket, so you wouldn't qualify for the credit. But, you know, if you do have out-of-pocket expenses for these uh, programs, you know, for your um, colleges, you know, tuitions, things like that, um, then you can use two types of, uh, one of two types of uh, education credits, right? Um, one of them is up to $2,000, another one up to 2500 right? So if you qualify for any of those, um, then we'll apply that to the tax return, right? And it's a, a credit. Again, one of them is non-refundable, one's refundable. So you can maximize your refund by using either of those two. Okay. And does that only apply to uh, young people in their late teens and early 20s? <laughs> or does it apply to everybody? Like, could I go back to uh, school to get a broadcasting degree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, there is no age limit. What there is a limit to for the the refundable one, right, which is called the uh, American Opportunity Credits. So that one is uh, really based on how many years of post-secondary education, right? So you can only use that up to four years. Okay. After that, we're using what's called the lifetime credit, right? So the lifetime credit, just in, in its name, right, you can use it for uh, for a lifetime, right? If you, okay. I, I remember when I was in college, I was going with people that were in their 50s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so they can still use that credit if they qualify for that. 
Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next on the strategy list would be retirement strategies. Uh, what are the tax advantages of contributing to retirement accounts? Yeah, for these next few strategies, you know, the way I look at them is it's it's a deferral, right? We're deferring this income so that it's not taxed now. And so for retirement, you know, there's different types of retirement um, vehicles that you can use to defer the taxes on the income that you're generating, right? So for example, 401k, you can max that out by putting up to, you know, 2023 is somewhere around 22000 in your 401k, right? And so that's 22000 of income that you don't have to pay taxes on now, but rather later when mm-hmm. you actually start taking it out during retirement, right? So these, uh, again, different types of retirement accounts is more of a deferral of these taxes. And... And also a traditional IRA, right? Correct. Yeah, traditional IRAs. Now, there there are going to be uh, limits, right? So like I said, the, the 401k is probably the most that you can kind of maximize that, that uh, deferral at the 22000 For your IRAs, you know, those are going to be uh, a little more limited, right? So for example, an, uh, an IRA is going to have a maximum of 6500 that you can defer, right, without, mm-hmm. without paying taxes. Um, you know, so things like that you have to kind of consider, especially with our business clients, right? So when we meet with business clients, we we try to look at the different things that they're uh, investing in, you know, for retirement. A lot of them like to set up those IRAs, which are great. But if you notice that the, the, the maximum versus a 401k is not as much, right? right? So we might consider, uh, you know, restructuring their business so that they can qualify to invest into a 401k. And take okay. those maximum deductions. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How about the Roth IRA? How does that fit? So Roth IRA, you know, it's a little different because that is going to be, you know, more where you're paying the taxes now. So later when you take that money out, um, it's going to be non-taxable, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it really, you know, depending on where you see your income in the future, right? If you see that, okay, well, based on my assets, based on my investments, I'd rather pay the taxes now because my tax you know, uh, rate is higher than what it's going to be, or low, excuse me, lower than what it's going to be later, then you might want to take advantage of that paying the lower taxes now, right? Right. Uh, So that way later when you take the money out, it's tax-free, right? So that's the difference between the two, right? So traditional, again, traditional is more like traditionally your 401ks type thing. So that's kind of where that name comes from. So again, it depends on when you want to pay the taxes on that, on that income. And are there other ways of saving money uh, that you're familiar with that um, are outside of this, uh, the tax regulations for retirement, um, like uh, saving money through life insurance or or just investments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different vehicles that you can use, right? Life insurance is one of them, you know, especially, like I said, those that are self-employed, right? They can definitely take advantage of, of investing in those types of things. Another one that people don't realize that they can actually use as a, a deferral or a reduction of income is their um, medical savings accounts, right, like an HSA, because um, those are very similar to your um, your retirement investments where the money that you put into this um, into this account, you're reducing. Like, you don't have to pay taxes mm-hmm. on that income, right? And so, you know, again, you know, just different depends on the person's uh, situation, right? Because it, it might make sense for them to, to do those investments and defer the taxes. Mm-hmm. But there's some people that need the income, right? So it might not be so much uh, of a great strategy for them, right? So we kind of take a look at those, uh, those options and weigh what's, what's best for them. Okay, good. And saving for retirement is a good thing because uh, once you stop working and you're not getting wages anymore you need to get money from somewhere absolutely yeah you need those uh those assets later on that are going to give you money mm-hmm. for sure okay well we'll start with uh, the next strategy for asset optimization and see if we uh, finish this or, or carry over after the the next break uh, what type of assets do you mean here asset optimization are are assets that you're investing in Right. So what I mean by that is it could be houses, it could be stocks, bonds, you know, things, things of that nature. 
the way we talk about the optimization portion is, you know, you got to think of, of, you know, if it's an investor, they're buying and selling these assets, right? And these, these uh, assets can either increase in value or they can decrease in value, right? So let's take some stocks, for example. I have, you know, especially with the pandemic, a lot of people got into Robin Hood and, and these right. meme stocks and stuff like that, right? And so some of them did very well. Some of them took some big losses, right? And so you have to kind of weigh those two. So, for example, to optimize some of these assets, let's say that you had a very big gain. You had a very good uh, investment that you took on maybe a day trade or a swing trade, um, you know, and, and did very well for you, right? But then there was others that didn't do so well, but you're holding on to those because you think that it's going to go up, right. right? Now that we're at the end of the year, my advice to some of these clients would be, hey, let's sell some of these losers, right? Because the losses on those would actually reduce the gains on mm-hmm. the big ones. And so by doing that, now you're reducing your your gains that you had on the big ones, right? So that you don't have to pay so much taxes on that income. So you have uh, the tax strategy on one hand and your investment strategy on the other mm-hmm. that you have to consider both. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that way you can, again, maximize the tax opportunity mm-hmm. on that, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's, it's still the same results, still have the same amount of income in your bank, but you're, you're realizing those losses to be able to reduce your tax liability. Okay, we got to take a break. Stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt on 930 AM The Answer. Also podcasts everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, and uh, TalkLawRadio.com. If you're interested about a legal topic that you're having trouble understanding, you might find a previous episode of Talk Law Radio, and you can search for that on Google, and you can find those previous episodes on TalkLawRadio.com. Today I'm here with uh, Hector Sines, and we're talking about year-end tax planning, and he's a business consultant and tax specialist with Liberty Tax Services, South San Antonio. Uh, Hector, uh, why don't you tell him your phone number and email address again? Yeah, yeah. So um, my phone number is 210-355-3267. All right, you can call, text, uh, leave a voicemail. Uh, my email is hector.signs at libertysouthsand.com. Okay, so uh, before the break, we were talking about um, tax loss harvesting and asset optimization, uh, but we didn't quite get to long-term versus short-term. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, with with, uh, capital assets, there's there's different types of tax implications, right? And and it it really depends whether it's a long-term or short-term, right? So, Long term, if if anybody's heard of the term capital gains tax rates, right? So long, your long term investments would fall under what's called capital gains tax rates. Now, this is where you know a lot of the the big money people kind of save their their money, especially on taxes, right? Because long term capital gains tax rates are probably a little more favorable for for some people, more favorable uh, than your ordinary tax rates, mm-hmm. right? So ordinary tax rates is just like, you know, anybody that has wages, uh, self-employment income, you know, things like that, they're going to be taxed at the ordinary tax rate, right? Um, but those that have long-term capital gains, uh, again, are, are at the capital gains tax rate. So there's two differences there, right? Short-term uh, is going to be anything that's held for one year or less, right? So again, like a while ago, I talked about the... Um, you know, day trading and swing trading, right? Those are never held for usually more than a couple months, right? So that's a short-term type of asset. So again, if it's for a year or less, it's going to be short-term and those are taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. So that's kind of the difference between the long-term and short-term. So if you held it for more than a year uh, and it it has to go over the 365-day mark, more than a year, then it's considered a long-term asset. So there might be a difference, uh, for example, if somebody is a real estate investor 
um, if they if they flipped the house mm-hmm. uh, within that year, then that would be a, a short term. Um, but if they held on to a house for one or two or three years, that would be more of a long term. Long term. Yep. Yep, exactly. So, you know, those that flip houses, obviously, those are not their primary residence, right? Because mm-hmm. typically your primary residence, you know, w- w- could be considered a, a capital asset. Um, but if you're using this more for investments, um, then you have to look at that timeline. For sure. And there's a special exemption for selling your personal residence. Correct. Yeah. So as long as you owned it or you lived in it, I should say, for two out of the last five years, um, then yes, you do get an exemption on the profits, right, on the net proceeds. So mm-hmm. uh, the exemption is 250000 for single people, 500000 for those that are married, right? So that means that you can profit that much and not have to pay taxes on that income. And has that exemption amount changed in, in the last few years, or has that just been staying the same? It's It's been pretty consistent, right? But I'm pretty sure that here pretty soon, and especially with the, the, the housing market, you know, just increasing like crazy, right? I'm pretty sure that those will be increasing here. That's soon. what I was wondering about. Uh, why hasn't it changed? So yeah. talk to your legislator or congressman <laughs> about uh, getting that updated. Absolutely. Uh, another another thing I think of when I think of uh, capital gains uh, is uh, inheritance. If if somebody inherits a property, mm-hmm. um, the the rules are a little bit different. Um, can you talk about cost basis um, during life and cost basis after death? Yeah, so so a lot of that gets complex, right? Because it, there's different things that we kind of look at, right? So again, cost basis is basically what the the house is worth for the person at the time, right? And so, um, you know, for example, and, and we're we're talking about passing it down. So if someone inherits a home, um, then we can either have the look back, right, where we kind of take the cost basis of the person, the person's cost basis, which is what they purchased it at, any adjustments made to that. Um, or we can take uh, the value at the time that it was inherited, right? especially if we don't know the cost basis uh, looking back. right? So again, uh, weighing between the two really just depends on what the results are going to be and the best uh, strategy to take at that point for, for that client. So if somebody inherits a house or, or real estate or, or even uh, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, uh, but before they fill out their income tax return, they should probably talk to somebody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, because w- when you have assets like that, you know, the whole idea, again, is deferral, right? And and so when it's deferred and and you pass away, right, Who who's going to pay the taxes on that, right, is mm-hmm. the thing. Because eventually, as I mentioned a while ago, you know, these are deferrals. We can't just wipe out income. Right, you can't just wipe it out and never pay taxes on it. Someone eventually is going to have to pay taxes mm-hmm. on it. So on these deferrals, yeah, it's it's best to to you know for assets that you're going to be holding for for a long period of time, you have to plan for that, right? You have to plan for the future because you you don't know what's going to happen, you know, within the next hour or so, right? right? And so, um, yeah, you absolutely have to plan for that so you can uh, understand the tax tax implications mm-hmm. on either you or or your your. Um, Beneficiaries. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go to the next strategy, uh, strategy five, uh, estate planning strategies. Um, how can estate planning be a tax strategy? So there's there's a few different ways, right? So first of all, whenever I talk to a client or I you know sit down with a client about estate planning, um, you have to understand what what estate means, right? I mean, estate, you know, a couple of different definitions really if you look it up. So an estate really is 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 what you own, right? Mm-hmm. Your your assets that are kind of under you, and and the the larger assets uh, at that. Uh, and then on the legal side, right? Something that you kind of deal with. This is the process of you know of of pretty much giving out these assets, right? To to the heirs. And so uh, we have to understand uh, again cost bases, you know, things like that, and and how it's going to impact. Uh, the clients, right? And so we might get into a strategy of maybe, you know, again, this is where our partnership kind of comes right, together, right? right? Where we kind of get them to uh, look into developing a trust, right? Or uh, maybe uh, utilizing the um, the, the um, estate tax exemption, right? Where, you know, believe it or not, if you pass away, you can 
give to your heirs tax, I wouldn't say tax-free, but a tax deferral um, of up to a certain amount, mm-hmm. right? And so this can be deferred over uh, to your heirs as long as it's done right, right? As long as the process is done correctly. Yeah. And so this this year, the estate tax exemption is $12.92 million mm-hmm. per person. Right. Um, but that high exemption was part of the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, mm-hmm. and that expires at the end of 2025. And so I'm counseling my clients that uh, if Congress doesn't renew that act yeah. or that high exemption, then it's going to fall back to uh, $5 million adjusted for inflation. Right. And so the, the planning that you do when, when the exemption's $12 million might be different when it's $5 million, Absolutely. Uh, depending on how much money you have saved up. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, going to affect your taxes or the estate or your beneficiaries. Well, and and by the way, I wanted to ask you, uh, since we were talking about retirement accounts, um, the way that beneficiaries are taxed on retirement accounts changed within recent years, too, with the SECURE Act. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when somebody's planning their own income tax situation, they also have to think, well, if I pass away and my beneficiaries inherit this account— we 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 can think we have an opportunity to think about what it, how it's going to affect them as well. Right. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, you know, it's very important to do that, right? Because you have different things that can kind of help cover some of these things and mitigate some of the costs, mm-hmm. like life insurance, for example, right? So, uh, you know, if you know there's going to be some kind of tax implication, then uh, you have to have those things to fall back on for your beneficiaries. You know. A lot of people that build businesses and buy assets and things like this, they talk about doing this for a legacy, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's for a legacy, then, you know, legacy is, is moving something on to, to, to your heirs, right? right. And, and so you got to think about the impact for them as well. Yeah. So planning and strategizing beyond just uh, for taxes is very important. Unless you want to make Uncle Sam one of your beneficiaries. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uncle Sam will take it away and, and, <laughs> and take all that money for sure. Yeah, so because of those uh, changes with the SECURE Act, um, I, th- I think that that change was made so that the IRS could collect uh, retirement account taxes faster than they had in the past. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's a potential for more tax being paid by the, your beneficiary than you would right? Yeah. If, if you had taken more of it during your lifetime. And so that's another time when you could work with a tax professional to mm-hmm. decide, should I take more of this money now, pay yeah. tax on it myself so that I can help my beneficiaries uh, by them not having to pay absolutely. income taxes on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying to you, right? So there's different uh, vehicles, different strategies for that too, right? So, and and the reason why, the well, this is probably more of an opinion, right? But the reason why these are, are being impacted or being implemented is because we don't know if Social Security is going to be available or what it's going to look like mm-hmm. after a few years, right? And so, you know, Social Security, then this is where the whole 401k came about, right? 401k is a tax code to help um, kind of mitigate or, or, or be a supplement to Social Security, right? Mm-hmm. Not, a people, not a lot of people do that, right? They use their 401k as like, okay, this is more of a savings account. They'll take money out and just kind of rely on Social Security alone when they retire, right? And so someone's got to pay for for that, right? Someone's got to pay for that Social Security. And so that's why they're kind of coming up with some of these um, extra taxes, right, to kind of help pay for that. Okay. Well, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
Discover the fascinating world of the law with Talk Law Radio. Listen to 9.30 a.m. The Answer every Saturday morning at 11 for insightful discussions and expert analysis. Then, don't miss out on a thrilling bonus segment every Sunday at 4.30 p.m. When Talk Law Radio's attorney, Todd Marquardt, offers his professional perspective on trending legal issues. Stay informed and engaged with the legal matters that shape our nation. Join Talk Law Radio for an enriching radio experience on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And for more info, go to TalkLawRadio.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Hector Sines talking about income tax planning, specifically year-end income tax planning for the months October, November, December, and how that's different than uh, filing your tax return at the beginning of the year when everything is already – well, some things are set in stone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there still that possibility of – contributing to your retirement account after the first of the year but still claiming a deduction for the previous year? Yeah, there are there are some exceptions, right? So the IRS will allow, for example, for IRAs, right? They, they will allow um, you to uh, invest in to those IRAs up until the tax due date, uh, typically April 15th, right? As, as long as you designate that, that's for the prior year. Right? Okay. So, yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say that before we moved on to business. Uh, but I also want to give you a chance to tell the listeners uh, where you're located and how to contact you. Yeah. So um, again, I have three locations in the San Antonio area. Liberty Tax is nationwide, right? But my three locations, two on the south side of town. Uh, my main location is right across the street from South Park Mall on Military Drive. Um, and then I have a satellite office not too far from that on Zarzamora. Uh, and then we have one a uh, little more north on Babcock and Hebner. And uh, like I said, any Liberty tax in the area, you know, so again, I am a uh, field consultant for a large region in Texas and New Mexico. Um, so if you, you know, put my name out there, you know, they're going to know who I am. But a lot of these franchisees are, are phenomenal, uh, have, you know, great knowledge of the tax code, you know. So any Liberty tax you walk into is going to be able to help you just to, just the same. But if they like you and want to work with you, uh, yep. what number would they call? Yeah, if you want to call me, my direct line is 210-355-3267. That's my cell phone. You can text me if you want, uh, you know, questions, and, and we can set up consultations. My email is hector.signs at libertysouthsan.com. Okay. So we've been talking about income tax planning, especially at the end of the year, and uh, now we're going to talk about some things uh, business owners might consider specifically that's a little bit different from individuals who might have uh, W-2 wages. Uh, so what are some general uh, business uh, deductions or, or just business tax issues that you consider when you're counseling a business owner? Well, yeah, so with business owners, you know, the the... the the laws, the tax laws and all that are pretty strict, right? And and if you haven't heard the news already that the IRS beefed up their their um, their auditor, uh, the number of auditors that they have now, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of these auditors are going to go after those that are uh, self-employed, right? Schedule C specifically, you know, those are sole proprietors, uh, but also those that are uh, S-corporations, and so, you know, behind that, there there are some great strategies to use um, for both of those. But, you know, to start, you know, we have to make sure that there's adequate and efficient record keeping of your both your income and your expenses, right? Because if we don't have adequate record keeping, then the IRS says, well, there's no proof of this, right? And so they can pretty much eliminate all your expenses and now all your income, they won't eliminate your income. <laughs> so, so all your let, income is taxable now. So let me challenge you on that uh, record keeping. Mm-hmm. Um, will the IRS uh, go off of a bank statement or do you have to have a receipt? So bank statements are okay for uh, creating ledgers and things of that nature. But yeah, receipts are, are more specific, right? So if, if the auditor wants to get a little more specific into a, a, a you know a certain um, 
amount that you have on your bank statement, for example, they're going to want that receipt, right? Because they're going to want an itemized transaction of what was purchased at that location. Oh, I see. So if you go to Office Max or Office Depot, they would want to see a list of everything that you bought there. Correct. Yeah. And and some auditors will will allow it, some won't, right? As far as we want to talk in terms of bank statements. Um, some will get real specific like that, right? And some will, will require receipts. So for that reason, you know, we, we like to put people, especially on our bookkeeping side, we do, we do bookkeeping as well. We like to put people in softwares where they can upload their receipts, right? So that we have something to back up the transactions that show on their bank statements. Oh, okay. Uh, is that QuickBooks or something else that you prefer? Yeah, so we, we uh, tend to use two, two types of softwares, right? So we, we do have uh, in our, our what I call our legacy uh, transactions with our, our clients is QuickBooks Online. Uh, and then we also, in the, in the Liberty system, use Xero, uh, X-E-R-O, Xero, uh, which is very similar to, to QuickBooks. Um, but there's uh, some efficiencies uh, that are probably a little better on, on the Xero side and some that are better on on QuickBooks, which depends on the client. Oh, okay. So that's all about record keeping. Yes. And that's uh, essential for business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other principles of income tax that you teach your business owner clients? Yeah. So as I mentioned a while ago, you know, there, there's uh, your sole proprietors, right? And and typically your sole proprietors will be uh, filing their business income on a Schedule C, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of your self-employed people, small business owners, they, they, their business structures are always what's called pass-through, meaning the income is always reported on your personal return, right, regardless of what form you file. And so um, those that are sole proprietors are probably ones that are going to be paying a, a, a larger amount of tax, right, because there's several different types of taxes that you have to con- consider, right, on, on the federal tax return, we're talking about federal taxes, right? But for someone who's self-employed, they also have to consider this, this what's called the self-employment tax. The IRS kind of disguises that. It's called self-employment tax, but it's actually your Social Security and Medicare taxes, right? So where we get a for, for those that might have a wage, W-2, Social Security and Medicare is already automatically taken out, right? But for those that are self-employed under, you know, that are sole proprietors, uh, they pay the self-employment tax, which is them contributing to Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is that a lot of our business owners that come in to, to, for consultation um, will will be paying a, quite a bit of tax because of that on their profits. And so once we hit a certain threshold, um, you know, every CPA, every accountant, every tax professional will have their number but once you hit a certain threshold of profit um, is when we will basically say, hey, you know what? It might be a better idea that we restructure your business and, and create an LLC and take the S-Corp election, right? Now, the S-Corp election, and, and you you'd probably know this too, right? S-Corp election, it, it's, it's vital. It's, it's an election, right? So, for example, if, if you go set up an LLC, it's not automatically an S-Corp. Right, or if you go set up a corporation, it's not automatically an S corp. You have to take the election to be an S corp. Right, it's a two step process. the The first step would be filing with the state mm-hmm. secretary of state, and then the second step would be filing something with the right. IRS. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people come to me and say, "Oh, well, you know, I shouldn't have to pay that many taxes. I'm an LLC." Like, okay, great, you're an LLC, but did you take the S-Corp election? Mm-hmm. That's when they look at you with the deer in the headlights, right? Like, right? And so it's, it's you know, if you're, if you're doing it on your own, I do not recommend that, right? If you're going to create an LLC, get a professional to do mm-hmm. it because you have to take certain elections to be able to take advantage of an LLC. Because first of all, the LLC really is it's, it's to separate the business owner from the business, right? So your, mm-hmm. your liabilities are... are limited to the business. That's why it's called limited liability. But for the tax purpose, you know, again, the S-Corp is where the advantages come from. The LLC can choose its tax status. Correct. Correct. So they can either stay as a sole proprietor, uh, which again, I mentioned a while ago, could be paying more taxes than they should be, or they can go with the S-Corp. 
Right. And so where where the S corp is an advantage is now based on IRS tax code. The IRS says, well, the profits on the S corp is passive income, mm-hmm. right? So very similar to selling an asset, right? Or or taking a distribution like if you own stock in Walmart and they're paying you dividends. Right. You don't pay Social Security and Medicare taxes on that, right? But then the question is, you know, so how do I contribute to Social Security and Medicare? Well, again, IRS tax code says if you're an S-Corp, you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary, right? So that's where the W-2 comes in. Yeah. And so that's your contribution to Social Security and Medicare. But like I explained to my clients, you know, let's say that you had $100,000 in profit and you're a sole proprietor filing a Schedule C, you're going to pay Social Security and Medicare on the 100000 right? If you're an S-Corp, you know, based on your industry, a reasonable salary is maybe $30,000, Right, so now you're only paying Social Security and Medicare taxes on thirty thousand as opposed to a hundred thousand, right? So that's kind but of this doesn't that. apply to every industry. The reasonable salary, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, reasonable salary again is based on your industry, right? So it just, uh, it just but you probably have some guidelines that that you go by based on all the experience you have. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it, you know, because again, reasonable salary can can depend on your market depend on your area right Mm -hmm. so like someone in california's you know reasonable salary probably wouldn't be the same here in texas right right? so yeah it just depends on your areas yeah so it's probably good to have a local tax specialist for sure yeah because a lot of things uh can be localized too right i mean a lot like like i mentioned a while ago right just uh the the income part of it uh, also, the fact that we don't have a state tax, right, but we do have a sales tax, right? So understanding the sales tax implications to your income as well uh, is important so that you're, again, maximizing your income based on the sales tax liability as well. So, um, yeah, it is important to find someone local. I know a lot of people like to use people out of state, um, which could be fine, right? But, again, if they don't know the local uh, local laws, especially the tax laws, then that can be hurting you. Okay, we just have maybe 30 seconds. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody uh, why they should see you? Well, come see me because we're we're, uh, pretty much a a year-round service, right? And we encompass everything. As I mentioned a while ago, we do bookkeeping, right? So we're going to understand what you need, especially if you're a business owner. We're going to understand what you need so that this time of year, uh, the, the strategies are already there available to you, right? Um, if you're not using us for bookkeeping, then it's a great idea to come see us now because now is the time to get those strategies in place before the year ends. Uh, and if it's not in place now, maybe it can be in place for next year so that you have better results next year. Right, so, Okay, that's all the time we have. Uh, I'm Todd Markport. I'll talk to you later. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.